The Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus and his disciples arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. So uh, now on the hillside there was a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herders saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged him that he might return with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Do we have any kids that would like to come up for children's time? Some kids get too old for children's time, but pastors never do. <laughs> Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our need is a luminous marker of our humanity. Our need is a luminous marker of our humanity. This line has been ringing in my mind and heart this past week, and it comes from an incredible book that I'm currently listening to called God is a Black Woman by Dr. Christina Cleveland. The book is one part memoir, one part travelogue of her 400-mile pilgrimage across a region in central France that is home to 40 black Madonna statues, and one part helping readers understand the ways in which our image of God has been marred by white supremacy and patriarchy. This is not a sermon about white supremacy and patriarchy, as much as I know that you would like that. <laughs> no, this is a sermon about how we and how God regard our need. Dr. Cleveland writes about how she, like many of us, was enculturated from a very young age 
to not show or express our needs. She tells a story about how in kindergarten, she told a little white lie born out of a little kid's simple longing for affirmation, and she received a harsh punishment for it. She says, I received the messages loud and clear. It's not okay to need affirmation. It's not okay to have a need. Your humanity is shameful. Your humanity is to be punished. To be human is to be shameful. To be good and faithful is to be perfect and needless. We are trained early, often through osmosis, that we should hide our needs, that needlessness is next to godliness, and we often carry that into adulthood. Dr. Cleveland writes, the only time we are allowed to talk openly about our need is when we are regaling ourselves with tales about how we've triumphed over it. We love to exchange stories about how we used to be homeless but now own a home with no mortgage on it. We're once illiterate but are now New York Times best-selling author. Used to be an alcoholic but have been sober for 20 years. Once struggled to manage our anger but now are a celebrated mindfulness teacher. Previously had marital problems but now it's all good. In other words, it's okay to struggle as long as you triumph in the long run. Just please don't tell us about your need in real time. Need is only acceptable in the past tense. We prefer the Hollywood version because it helps us disconnect from the shame we carry about our own needy humanity. Indeed, we are taught that we should be ashamed of our need because our need erodes all that is right and good in the world. She says that because of this, we have a toxic relationship with perfection, constantly chasing perfection while denying imperfection. I recognize the truth in this as someone who encounters a whole spectrum of human need. Most people deny or downplay their need. It takes the form of not wanting to bother anyone or retreating within to themselves, saying, we're fine, we're okay, insisting that things are under control, that we're good. We are afraid to admit our need even to the people who are closest to us. And I think this is enhanced by living in the suburbs, too. I don't know whether it's the space between us and our neighbors or those well-tended lawns with the lines that are just right or the edged walkways, something that says with slightly too much insistence that things are in order, things are in control, and everything is fine, even when it's not. The larger version of that first quote I cited goes like this. Every time we hide our need, we take one step closer to a contagious shame spiral and one step away from the liberating truth that our need is a luminous marker of our humanity. Dr. Cleveland says, if we are ever going to transform our woefully anti-nurturing society, we need a God who not only tolerates our human need, but cherishes it. In our gospel today, we encounter a person whose needs are on full display. This person is possessed by demons, naked and living among the tombs. In Mark's version, it says that they could not be restrained even with shackles and chains, for they broke them into pieces, and that they would howl and bruise themselves with stones. 
The possessed person confronts Jesus, and Jesus has compassion on them. Jesus, who is not afraid of our need, but cherishes each of us, no matter our situation or story. Jesus heals the person, sending the legion of demons into a herd of pigs. Mark says there were 2,000 of them, and they run into the sea. And when the community finds them, the person is clothed and in their right mind and sitting at the feet of Jesus. Such was Jesus' compassion that led him to cross the sea to reach this person and to restore them to wholeness. Our best guess 2,000 years after the writing of the Gospels is that the demonic possession was a way of explaining a mental health challenge or crisis. And so one biblical commentator writes, The story should now be interpreted so that it speaks a word of assurance and hope to those for whom every day is a battle with depression, fear, anxiety, or compulsive behavior. With such a response, the man had acknowledged that he had had no longer an individual identity. He had lost his name. He had lost his individuality. All that was left was a boiling struggle of conflicting forces. It was as though a Roman legion was at war within him. He was alone, bruised and broken. He had harmed himself. He was tortured within. His needs were yearning to be healed, and Jesus crossed the sea for him, loved him, had compassion on him, and restored him to himself. And Jesus desires to do the same for us, no matter our particular need. About two years ago, in the early days of the pandemic, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, which is defined as an anxiety disorder characterized by excessive, uncontrollable, and often irrational worry about events or activities, worry that often interferes with daily functioning and Individuals with this condition are often overly concerned about everyday matters. Symptoms may include excessive worry, restlessness, trouble sleeping, exhaustion, irritability, and trembling. I experienced it as fear and worry to the point of paralysis and dread. When I look back, I think the pandemic rendered useless my main coping mechanism which had always been to work harder and faster and smarter and learn more and then work harder again. But as I discovered, you can't outwork a pandemic. And believe me, I tried. Finally, after I had blown through several warning signs, I reached out to a doctor friend of mine and I found a therapist who I still see. And I started anti-anxiety meds, which I still take. And I began the process of reorganizing my old patterns that had successfully carried me a long way, but could carry me no further. And I began to practice greater love and care for myself. In the process, I rediscovered that my need was not something to be ashamed of or just powered through, but the very place where God was meeting me. I now see it as the luminous part of my humanity that lights my way. Now, I risk here doing exactly what Dr. Cleveland writes not to do, only talking about need in the past tense. But it feels appropriate to share this now because I am in a good place, 
And it is not in the past tense. I am still on my journey. And if sharing my story and my need can help someone else feel seen or give someone the courage to reach out or receive help or talk to a trusted friend or to love themselves, needs, and all, then I want to do that. I may have once believed or behaved as if needlessness was next godliness, but I know that sharing our need is the key to our healing, restoration, and part of the journey to wholeness. In the letter to the Galatians, we hear about the unity that we share. But now that faith has come in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. I believe our unity and our hope as a planet lies in our common humanity. And yet it is our humanity that we have been conditioned to hide. We are so fearful of our needful humanity that we deny it in ourselves and we despise it in others. I think this is what accounts for much of the vitriol we see in our culture as we somehow expect people and ourselves to be perfect amidst the impossible situation of the pandemic. We have dehumanized others and maybe ourselves in order to fit into stories that we tell ourselves. We have invented entire false realities rather than admit that we may be wrong or rethink our positions. In the face of the world's need, in light of unprecedented social, economic, public health, and environmental challenges, and the suffering that they have wrought, many of us have opted to shut down rather than remain open to the world's pain. And that is understandable. But that is not how we will find healing for ourselves or our world. We need to keep our hearts open for ourselves, to others, and for the world. To feel that pain, yes, but also then empathy and compassion, which inevitably comes. Compassion for ourselves and for all. For within our common humanity lies our common future. That is where God wants to meet us, if we are willing. For every time we hide our need, we take one step closer to a contagious shame spiral and one step away from the liberating truth that our need is a luminous marker of our humanity. Amen.